another episode of the Color in Cannabis podcast. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Jason Washington, uh, someone who's very, very impressive in the cannabis space. Someone I was, I was actually very intimidated by when I first met him because you have so much energy and passion around all of this. It always uh, reminds me I should be working harder, but I'm uh, super excited to have you here. Man, I'm super uh, blessed and thankful to be here, T. It's it's a real honor, man, to get, get the opportunity to sit down and Kind of talk about some of the, the, the war stories. Yeah, 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 you got a lot of them. Yeah. Um, first, you got a lot of different brands. So let's get into all the brands that you own, and yeah. then we'll get into your full story. Yeah, so um, Culture, Inc. is our parent company. Mm-hmm. It's the main brand that everything kind of sits under. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's the umbrella. Um, and under Culture, um, we've just released a clothing line mm-hmm. that's, that's been exciting and a whole new language to learn, if you will. And then under culture, from a consumer forward-facing brand perspective, we have Pop, which is plants over pills, mm-hmm. um, and that's our ace of indoor smalls. They come in a pill-like container. Yeah, you want to grab, uh, grab Yeah, them. Like, like one of these guys. Yeah, those are great. Um, I, lo- like I a, love these. A unique pill container. And they're in five colors. Um, these are the colors that we have now, purple, red, blue, yellow, and green. Mm-hmm. Um, and cannabis flower just, you know, it's visible from the clear part. Yeah. It's smell proof. It's child proof. These little bump stops prevent it from like rolling off uh, a, a flat surface. And the whole ethos of the brand is just to spark a thought in people's heads. Like let's try plants and get away from the pills because here in the Bay area, all over this country yeah. really, but you know, we, we have this opioid and this fentanyl addiction pandemic, and, and that's the real pandemic, right? Yeah. So um, natural plant medicine is, is something that we're really a proponent of and, 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 and are trying to, you know, kind of be more of a mission-based cannabis business. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've been, I've been in the, I've definitely been in the profit-based cannabis side of business before, and, and we'll get into that later, and that led me to some time in federal prison, but... Um, now it's, it's more about a mission and how can you kind of affect the community in which you live? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't like walking down the streets and seeing zombies and seeing, yeah. you know, my kids have to deal with looking at that shit. It, it, it's, it's a different, when we grew up in Oakland, yeah, it was dope, dope fiends and crackheads, but what we see now it's different. is, is, is very different. So plants over pills, mission-based cannabis business, um, what we're, trying to do is create a, um, a scholarship fund to mm-hmm. send people to inpatient treatment, mm-hmm. not just outpatient yeah. because you leave the treatment facility. Now you're back outside in the same environment you left. So, um, we're really working hard at that. We need all the support of, uh, retail shops and consumers to support the brand because all of then the proceeds from that effort, um, will go towards the scholarship. We have a t-shirt drive for it. I mean, we're, we're trying, we're trying to do our part. Um, and then also another brand that, that we have under, uh, the culture umbrella is called flower. And I don't have any of it here. I'm sorry. Um, but flower F L W R what we designed flower to to, around was, um, sustainability for female farmers in the space. And so right now, shout out to Jen. Um, she's has two farms, two outdoor farms, um, and, uh, they're taking, uh, the, the lead with flower in California and they just did a big, uh, they had a big booth down in LA at, uh, uh, uh one of the, 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 trade shows down there. I forget the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it was beautiful. Um, in, in, in flower it's, it's what flower is. It's, it's an eighth of, of 
Mm-hmm. Flowers. And flowers. <laughs> in a box. And then the box, the top comes off, and then the bottom opens up into a flower, oh, which is your rolling tray. Oh, nice, nice. So you can be in your car. You never, everything's contained. Mm-hmm. And it's also speaks to like a woman, a female um, as a flower. Yeah. And so, Beautiful. yeah, Beautiful. that's the notion behind flower. Um, and those are, those are the main two focuses. Uh, we have the creating culture show, mm-hmm. um, which we filmed in, in 10 different uh, countries around the world um, that we should hopefully be releasing here soon. And then we have um, the Dope Conversations podcast that I'm looking forward to doing with Evelyn LaChapelle, um, awesome. who served some time in federal prison also. And, and so we'll be able to talk not only about weed, but just we can have a dope conversation about what school your kids go to, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. That's good. That's yeah. good. Uh, I know you have like a long, long history in cannabis. Uh, you've done a lot of different things, worn a lot of different hats in different states. Uh, but how did this all get started? Or I guess beyond cannabis, like tell me, tell us about your life, how you got started, and then all the different places you've gone with cannabis. Yeah, so so I guess I grew up here in in the Bay Area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, born and raised in Oakland. My mom's from Berkeley, so I've got a lot of ties to Oakland and Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I got to cannabis after a, uh, I guess, I don't know, um, a, a long road and in, in an entrepreneurial spirit that burns pretty bright still. But um, post high school, I went to junior college and played football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a scholarship to a division one in Ohio and I was behind a Heisman candidate. So I transferred to the university of Montana mm-hmm. and uh, fourth game of the year, Montana, I ended up getting hurt. And so um, at that time, it, it, 2005, you could buy real estate, stated income, stated asset, mm-hmm. just show up. You got a pulse. <laughs> fill out an application, you get out. So what I did at that time is I bought five houses and I rented all the rooms out to my teammates mm-hmm. um, because guys would like complain, like get evicted for having yeah. parties, things like that. But uh, I, I just rented all the rooms out to my teammates. And then I, um, from there, after I got hurt, I started my first business, which was, there was a show on TV at that time called Pimp My Ride. Yep. And uh, in Montana, there was no shops doing anything like that. I can imagine there wasn't. So one thing I noticed about people in Montana though, is they studied what was on TV. They tried to emulate that and they'd always like kind of, and I guess it goes beyond Montana really around the world. People like look to California as like the influencer of whatever's cool for social norms of, or or anything culture. Yeah. A hundred. So, um, uh, so I started my first shop opened this chain of car audio and accessory shops, rims, tires, stereo, shit like that. There were, I had three of them across the state and uh, we blew it up and I was still in school. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, my shoulder is, I'm on a medical red shirt mm-hmm. and now everybody's like, you got a business, but this was before like what they have now with NIL and name, image and likeness. So I had a full business still. I'm in school. I, I'm on a medical red shirt from my shoulder surgery. My shoulders completely rebuilt. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And so after I graduated in 2008, fast forward two more years, um, one of my teammates was like, you know, we really should get into this like medical cannabis. Like we could, we could really make some money. And he was still playing football at that time. And, uh, uh, I was just pretty apprehensive, you know, man, like the show, the wire was on at that time. So it's like black guy from Oakland with you want me to do weed. And I got the rim shops. Like <laughs> let's just fall right into the stereotype. Yeah. But then when I sat down and I put numbers, 
to the cannabis business at that time, I didn't see a pathway to become a millionaire from selling, selling stereos. You could have a good life, but dreams and aspirations far exceeded uh, um, what I thought the stereo shops could have done. Mm-hmm. Looking at other people that had been in the stereo business and had four or five stores and like what their kind of situation looked like from the outside, not knowing, I just didn't see it. So mm-hmm. we, uh, I said, fuck it, let's go. And um, 24 years old, um, I started Big Sky Health was the name of my business um, with three thousand dollars. Wow, a dispensary, and dispensary yeah. one, and that's insane because the idea of opening a dispensary on only three k now on three grand. <laughs> my rent was four hundred and fifty a month. Oh, Jesus, gotta love Montana on, on the main drag, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, I bought my first pound of weed. Mm-hmm. It came through an introduction from actually one of my stereo reps. He was like, hey, man, you should talk to my boy, Darren, who owns another, who just sold his stereo shop. I think he's getting into this. And, uh, yeah, me and Darren became very good friends, and he ended up one of my co-defendants, stand-up guy, um, good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from 3000 bucks, we grew that business. I was the largest provider in the state of Montana. It was a caregiver model at that time. Um, and I have five stores across the state. Uh, so ran that from September – 20 or 2009, like end of September, September, October 09, um, to November 2011 when I got raided by the feds, mm-hmm. DEA, FBI. They, they simultaneously raided uh, 16 locations of my, any business affiliated to me, the dispensaries, Jesus. the stereo shops, uh, my office downtown, my accountant's office, my attorney, um, my son's mother's house, yeah. you know, my house, like they hit all my houses. Um, they couldn't hit my houses where they didn't have jurisdiction, uh, or prove so they couldn't hit my house in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't hit my place in the country um, because they they couldn't prove any connection mm-hmm. to those. They tried. And they they have the civil asset forfeiture, which ultimately trumps it all, and so led to me having to sell all those assets. Jesus. So how much were you making when you had those five clubs up and running at one time versus like your other businesses? Yeah. So from the cannabis at at my worst month, I made a hundred thousand a month. <laughs> like a, that's like a bad month yeah. once we scaled it up right like not mm-hmm. straight out the absolutely, gate but absolutely. you could see a steady growth mm-hmm. every week and it just became you know who was able to supply their patients mm-hmm. it, it was this war of attrition mm-hmm. you've got an environment of people who don't know how to grow weed who've never grown weed mm-hmm. and the climate does not cooperate with you growing weed mm-hmm. so what i did was i went to san diego i, I got a, a my head grower came from San Diego, um, who I had known, had been doing it for a while. And uh, the patient cards is what would protect you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. six plants per patient. Yeah. So what it became is this war of like patient card caregiver registrations. Mm-hmm. Because the amount of cards you own is like your power in the market. Yep. Right. So, um we would go to these like traveling doctors clinics and we would pay for your doctor visit. If you couldn't afford it or you were a veteran or low income and you needed medical cannabis, you become a big sky health patient and doctor right there on the site, sign you up and there you go. And so that's what we did. And that's how um, we were able to get the patient count up. Ultimately everything alleged in their applications for search warrants from the DEA for my phone taps for the 24 hour surveillance they had on me, None of that was proven at trial because I'm from Oakland, California, and they had my phone taps. At that time, both of my brothers were 
in the space here in Oakland mm-hmm. under 215. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were active. And, you know, uh, they'd give me the game. They'd tell me what's kind of what's going on and this and that. But they thought that that's, there's some connection to a trafficking organization from California to Montana. And it just wasn't the case. If it were, I would have went to prison for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So how did did they get on to even bothering you? Was that you were too successful in the space and someone started Look, I was the complaining? I was the only black provider in the state of Montana. Yeah, that'll do it. Former Grizzly quarterback, mm-hmm. and I'm the largest. Mm-hmm. So when you go from the DEA's perspective, going through the discovery and what they did was they went and contacted the state of Montana. Now, which is if the federal government doesn't recognize any form of medical cannabis why would you then reach out to the state of Montana? Why not just come come raiding? Well, they do that so then now they can, for my charging documents, right, they can allege and prove that I it's now a worthy target because I have 1,001 plants. Because on the, it, it, it all ultimately goes on what they can charge you, mm-hmm. right? Your plant count helps them charge you at a higher rate Absolutely. because now that's going to, forego you and, and require a mandatory minimum sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I, I, I think that's it, man. Look, I, I'll tell you too. I wasn't, I, I was, uh, I was loud about it. I, there was no, look, I, at that time I had just played for the university of Montana. I was a Montana resident. I owned property there. I was a Montanan. Like I was in, yeah. right. I'm, I'm making all this money in Montana. I don't, at that point, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. It's yeah. Montana way to fucking flat. <laughs> For, for all I care at, at that time. And so under Montana law, I was 100% legal. Mm-hmm. Had I not been, we yeah. would have been shut down a long time Absolutely. ago. And so uh, I think all those factors, mm-hmm. you know, you you can't fly private planes and shit like that in Montana and then not go. <laughs> These motherfuckers think you bringing Escobar loads up there yeah. or something. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. So, um, but look, that's just in me coming from here. And, 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 and until you've had that type of money at 24 years old, yeah. first off, I'm coming off the wave of the, the quarterback football hype. Yeah. Then I have another win when we pop off the, the car audio shops. So it's like I have, I, have, I have a loss when I get hurt, mm-hmm. but then I have a win on the car audio shops. So it's just like you just kind of intertwined into a lot of shit. And then I have a major win on the weed, and now – it's like, okay, you can take care of mom. Mom's good. Yeah. Mom's don't need nothing. You know, mom's got a little credit card, little issues going. All that's done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody is just done. It must have felt good. You know, to be able to 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 take care of and be the youngest sibling out of all your siblings, but now it's Jay got it and it's good. It's 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 egotistical, but it it it's also what's been ingrained into my brain and flexing and flossing and doing all all of that shit, popping bottles and jewelry and going to the to the to the jeweler with, you know, the backpack of a hundred thousand dollars and being able to put that on the table and actually do it. Mm-hmm. Like not dream about it. This it. has been done. Yeah. Now I tell you, here we sit here in 2023, what 14 years later, to I have a Casio. <laughs> you can't pay me to pop a bottle of nothing. I'll pop a bottle of milk for the baby, and that's about it. <laughs> like, you couldn't – I don't give a fuck. If you gave me $100,000 and said, Jay, go to Vegas and do this, I would say, thanks, T, for the money. I'm going to Vegas, but we ain't spending none of this, yeah. right? <laughs> the, goal, the goal is what we coming home with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it was a lesson uh, learned. Um, had I never done it, I wouldn't be able to, to say 
but until you've done anything, it's hard to, when you're growing up, I mean, you know, your mama tell you, don't do this, don't do that. Until you go and do it and either are successful or injure yourself, you still got to do it. You got to learn for yourself. So I can say that I did it. It was a great time in my life um, being able to know and learn the lesson and value of a dollar um, now as we sit here compared to what life was back then. Um, life in the fast lane is intoxicating and it's sexy, man. It just is. Yeah. And it all comes with it. Everything that, that you see in the movies and, you know, the girls and the cars and the pretty things and the experiences and it, it's it's a lot of access that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So so how long did you wind up having to sit down versus how, well, how long did they want to sit you sit down for? And how long did you yeah. actually wind up being locked up? So I was indicted on three counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, conspiracy with the intention uh, to distribute, obviously, and possession. Uh, I'm sorry. Possession with the intent to distribute mm-hmm. and conspiracy to produce marijuana. Um, in possession of a firearm and furtherance of drug trafficking. Now, let's talk about the firearm. I was registered in Montana, concealed carry permit. Mm-hmm. Now, again, back to this, I'm a Montana and I'm following Montana law. I don't even know at that time, I was so ignorant, I didn't even know federal law was different. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a federal, you know, yeah. some sort of crossover and they don't respect each other or talk. I'm thinking, look. The law is the law. The law is the law, yeah. right? It, your mama tells you, uh, you can have a cookie and then your daddy comes home and whoops your ass for taking a cookie out the cookie jar. You're like, she just told me it was good. What? <laughs> like what? Yeah. So that's the way it felt. Um, so indicted on the gun and the two, the two weed charges. I didn't get any money crimes probably because they, they seized all the money. Uh, but those were the three I went to trial on. Mm-hmm. And the reason I went to trial is because look, at that point, I understood that I had a, I had a son. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was man enough to sell weed, to take. I knew the risk. Yes, of course, we, we knew the risk. But I was man enough. So I, I wanted to do that as an example to my baby to say, look, when you're convicted in something. Now, I'm following state law. Mm-hmm. Now, I could have tapped into my brother and them out here and the whole shit. And it wouldn't, it would have been double or triple of what it was actually going on up there. Right. Other than what it was. But the fact that we were following Montana law to the T, it's not my fault that you guys came up with the program. That was a little loose and we just took advantage and put the gas on that shit. So the reason I went to trial was at that time, I felt like my son was, was, was a big part of my, um, confidence in my reason and my why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be an example for him and for my children. When you're convicted in something, mm-hmm. meaning you're providing medicine for patients. Mm-hmm. Oh, I come from the patient space, Yeah, right? I don't come from this. There was no designer weed. Mm-hmm. It was no pretty bags and packaging and shit. I come from people coming in, having emotional breakdowns after chemotherapy Yeah looking for some sort of treatment. I come from moms who have children with epilepsy and uh, all of these things that this plant can help with saying, oh my God, thank you so much for being here because now I don't have to look in the streets for shady characters in order to make some, some, some can of butter 
for my child. Mm -hmm. That's where I come from. Yeah. So I felt that I was a Montanan following Montana law and I was doing right by the patients. And I felt the patients was going to fuck with me because we always fuck with them. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have something and you needed something, you could come in there and I would make sure you left with something. Mm -hmm. If you had $4, you were going to leave with something to help you out. Even if we got to run a little credit for you, whatever, no problem. That's why my patients stayed so so loyal to us. Because it wasn't just about the money. The money's going to come when you're doing right. Absolutely. And that's why I felt so good about it. And that's also why I was unapologetic about how I spent my money <laughs> because I knew we were providing mm -hmm. and we wasn't breaking no rules. Yeah. I just went and got the dream team. Don't yes. My head cultivator was from California. That's not my fault Yeah, that every other provider in the state of Montana didn't think, let me go where the, in, 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 get the Michael Jordan out here and let's really go. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, that's just what I did. And so Indicted on those three counts, um, my indictment was superseded three times, meaning that they get the initial indictment, and then the superseding indictments are just the add-ons, right? They're just trying to, like, continue to throw more shit. They didn't want to – they wanted me to plea out. Absolutely. Right. So my first plea started at 20 years. Then it went down to 17. And then it just kind of started to go to trickle down. Day before, and now we fought them pre-trial for 18 months. Um, what you, when you're fighting the government, what you learn is they don't run out of time or money. Yeah. I do. Yes. Right? I did. And so um, it was like, man, it's go time. So um, went to trial on those three. We beat them on the gun. We were not denying any of the weed mm -hmm. because we have business licenses. Yeah. So what we wanted a jury to know and, and see was look, we're full accountability and ownership here. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the director of the Montana medical marijuana program fully on our side, like these guys are a model mm -hmm. for what we want this program to be. And, um, you know, it, 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 the jury instruction was written that says, even if you feel Mr. Washington was compliant with state law, under federal law, oh, the cultivation, sale, distribution of marijuana is illegal. Therefore, you must, bold, underline, find him guilty. Now, if you're a juror who knows nothing about jury nullification or just doesn't know that I could just not vote, and then they'll get a, they'll get a hung jury, what are you going to do? You're going to vote guilty. Yeah. And when in, in, in the interview process after post trial, these people are like, we had no idea that we could just not vote because this is fucked up. Yeah. I mean, they were crying. The jurors are crying. Right. Um, because at that time you would, we didn't know. I mean, look I, at that time I beat the gun at trial um, so I was not guilty on that, but I was guilty on the two weed charges. And those both carried mandatory minimum sentences of five years. Now, not concurrent, consecutive, which means 10. Yeah. Okay. So my, my sentencing judge, he was like my only, he fucked me on the jury instruction. Cause had he not put that line in there, it, it might've, they might've been like, all right, well, there's some wiggle room. We can get out of this. Um, 
but he he was a he was my saint because he under federal law should have went to prison for 10 years in his sentencing memorandum, he wrote a very long explanation of why he did this, which my sentence was ultimately appealed mm-hmm. by the prosecution, not me. Um, and he said, you didn't prove anything of any of these allegations in these applications for search warrant. You got wiretaps, phone taps, 24-hour surveillance. You've, you've spent $3 million of government money finding what I could find if I drove down Reserve Street. We got a store with a sign on it, and we got patients. Big fucking deal. What do we got? He said, "If I if I could if I could send you home today, I would. I wouldn't send you to prison." He said, "I have to send you. I have to." And so he gave me a year on each count. I got two years. Oh Jesus, that's that's great. So two from ten, yeah, was good. Now two from ten, they could have been like twenty or fifty if the government had their way. Absolutely, yeah. no doubt. If I were in another jurisdiction, so this this judge I had was an uh, an Obama appointee from Stanford, um, so he's California based. Yeah. Just got appointed. I was like his second trial, so it could have went way left or way right. Had I been in another jurisdiction in, in Montana, they had this federal judge out there named Judge. Uh, Haddon, they call him Hang him Haddon, because he maxes you all the way out. Yeah, right. Like he gave a dude forty years that I was in uh, transit with for having a pound a week. Jesus, and it's just like you know, fight your way out of. We don't give a fuck. Yeah. So, um, I was blessed from that aspect. Um, you know, Judge Christensen really rocked with me uh, because he heard it. Mm-hmm. We at this point now, I've been in trial and been in sentencing. This has been two two years of his life, right? So he was just like, you know, I've sat on this case. It's time to move on. So anyway, so the prosecution, by definition, is correct. Mm-hmm. So they appeal me to the Ninth Circuit here in San Francisco. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is in the city. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals says, by definition of federal law, you got to go for 10. Mm-hmm. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to resentence you. They have the authoritative ability to resentence you. We're going to send it back to the district judge and let him resent you. Well, at this point, I had already served my time. Mm-hmm. I was back in a community, uh, like in a halfway house yeah. in Montana. And uh, uh, that was that judge's pet project. So each judge has a project, yes. right? That was his. The halfway house. The halfway house. Yeah. And my attorney's like, we're gonna, we need to request this halfway house because da-da-da-da-da. So I get to that halfway house. And they appeal me, and they take me back into custody. I'm in a county jail. Now, after going from prison to county jail, I'm in a county jail for 45 days. After you've been in prison, which is like, you, it's cool, mm-hmm. to county jail, it's, it's hard. And so I'm in, a, I'm in a county for 45 days. My beard's grown out. I look terrible. I'm in orange, right, going back to court, where, which is the visual from how I was in court before. Very nice suits every day, dressed to the nine you know, whole thing. Uh, the judge thought I violated. He's like, why are you in orange? We get back to sentencing. And he said, uh, he took his glasses off and he says, are you ready to be resentenced? Like he's pissed off at me. And he said, I'm going to reduce the original sentence from 24 to 21 months. And uh, if you want to appeal that, go ahead. He looks right at the prosecutor. She turns bright red. If you want to appeal that, go ahead. And uh, get him out that orange today. Um, 
and that sent me home. So that cut the rest of my halfway house time because I had six months halfway house time. So I did 14 years behind the gate and then six, month, six months of, uh, or 14 months behind the gate, mm-hmm. six months of halfway house time, and then your good time is your other four months. So that just sent me right, cut me right, sent me straight to the street at, that, that. at yeah. that point. And then what I did, I had a four-year probation tail. I went back to the University of Montana because they get credits when athletes graduate. I had already graduated with one degree in the midst of the car audio shops and whatnot, but I had four, four, I had six more classes to get my second degree. So I went back, talked to the athletic department, Jean Gee. She's, I love her still to this day. We'll always love her. She always rocked with me my entire time in Montana. I love that lady. She, uh, she, they, they, they got me to go, I could go back to school and I didn't have to pay for it. Nice. And I finished my second degree and I went back to the judge and I'm like, judge, I've now finished another degree. I need to move back to California, but I can't. I don't want to move back to California on probation. No. Trying to get a job and shit like that is going to be very difficult. He was like, yep, sounds good to me, and cut it. And then, you know, of course, the prosecution opposed that shit, and he was like, well, what you want to do? Because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And they didn't appeal that, um, and I was back home. Got back to Oakland 2016, October 2016. That's quite a journey. Yeah. So yeah. How, how was it coming back home? Uh, so then coming back home, I swore off wheat. So at that point, what I did was back up a little bit. I sold my car audio shops to um, a guy. Uh, my store manager, while I was in jail, had embezzled 60000 from the company, which we found out once I got home. But anyway, I still sold the business, so I left with a little bit of change. Came home and was like, okay, what's my next? I had enough money, like down to the penny, just to pay my rent in the Bay Area for a year. Just the Bay Area. <laughs> and I'm like, man, what is my... Uh, what's my next move? So I'm talking to my cousin. He worked for waste management because when I was in a joint, I was a barber. And when you talk to all the mafia guys who are coming down off their long sentences, they're like, stay away from the fucking drugs. Yeah. The feds don't like the drugs and you're going to be under a microscope. So I was like, fuck the weed. I'm going to do, I got to figure out a move in like sanitation. So my cousin worked for waste management. I'm like, man, what do people and you know, just as an entrepreneur, all we're trying to do every day is solve problems. Yes. So I'm like, okay, what do people complain about? And they're like, man, they just put this shit in Oakland called push pull. I'm like, what the fuck is that? So it's the, it's the, the distance that garbage dumpsters travel from their, wherever they live within the building to the street to get dumped and then put back. And they're crazy. They're like, you know, $80 per three inches type shit. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like thousands of dollars a month. So I started a company called Binpool, and we move trash dumpsters. Okay, uh, so the building would normally have to pay waste management to move the big can. So instead of paying that exorbitant fee, you create a business where you just show up and do it for them, and, and it has to get paid. It has to get done anyway. to For half the price. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And so, and the <laughs> waste management. going to be successful no matter what you do. Bro, so the, <laughs> and the waste management drivers are like, we love this because yeah. now we don't got to get out the truck. Yeah. It's raining and shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not, they just drive up, stab, dump, and they're off. Now, what that does is they've cut off seven minutes per 50 stops. Yeah. They get off earlier. They're happier, mm-hmm. right? So then they're, they're like, yo, push, pull over here, push, pull over there. Go to this address. They don't want to do all that extra work. Yeah, They don't get paid anything extra for it. Mm-hmm. So that was the business. So then I ran Ben Pool for a year. Um, still have it today. Six years later, um, and it's great. But uh, – Ran that for a year, 
And um, then the 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 weed man, the, the cannabis industry was calling. You know, cannabis California was on the verge of going legal. And a buddy of mine, Matthew Morgan, um, who I had known from Montana, he went off after I got raided and did reef dispensaries. and In, in uh, Vegas? In Vegas, yeah. 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 So he did reef in Vegas. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of friends out there, man, from that, from from those times when I was telling you you're flying down there. We, it was we, good. It was good, yeah. right? So we had a lot of friends out there. And um, he was like, man, look, let's go to let's, – let's, you're off probation. Let's go to California. Let's build, build the biggest – cannabis brand anybody's ever seen mm -hmm. and uh at that time he had six reef locations I, I believe through um arizona and nevada and we did it and we went uh we we went to la and we started the brand ignite mm -hmm. um alongside uh dan bilzerian was yeah. kind of the uh the face of that guy and um uh, we were there for about seven months and things just didn't they weren't going there. There was a lot of partying and a lot of, uh, like I said before, I come from the patient based cannabis side of things. This is medicinal. This is, this isn't parties and popping bottles and smoking. Like it's not, yeah, it's not that it, it was different for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't authentic to the cultures kind of how I felt about it. So after about seven months, um, of being there, it, it, uh, it was time for us to go. And that was the birth of culture. And, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, the reason culture came about was because it was just like, nah, this is our culture. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be hijacked by shiny objects that raise a lot of money. Yeah. And so culture has been, uh, it's, it's been here. It's been here with me since. And it's, uh, I think it's, um, it, it, it's been a it, it's been a good road. It's it's taken me to twenty countries around the world. It's um, it's been fun, man. I it's yeah, excellent, excellent. So how, how did you transition from the clothing brand to traveling around the world? I know we talked about it a little bit, but it sounds like you had a lot of interesting projects that you were doing, and I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So um, so with the uh, so when I left culture, look, or not left culture. I've never left culture. We're still here. But when we left ignite, mm -hmm. um and culture came about, it was now, okay, how do we work with, provide our, bring our experience and operational expertise? Because if you remember at that time in the industry, everybody was new yes. who were coming into Absolutely. it, right? Absolutely. There were like legacy dudes who had been in it and which the preface of culture is like, even down our headshots, half are in the light, half are in the dark. Mm -hmm. Because for us, like there's not one picture of me prior to going to prison around anything cannabis related. The mm -hmm. only pictures are DEA evidence photos, mm -hmm. right? That's it. Yeah. So it's, it's for us, it hasn't, there's always been this apprehension plus this like non-trusting relationship with the government yeah, that absolutely. we still hold. To, I still hold today. Yeah, we have to. Right. So, um, it's, it's, it, it was like, how do we now take our expertise on the road and how do we spread our wings all of these states are starting to emerge. Mm -hmm. Like then that was the opportunity to really help people sprint out the gate, right? To go and get, like I told you in Montana, I went and got the Michael Jordan of cultivation. Mm -hmm. That's why I was better than everybody else, is because I had an experienced grower. They didn't. Mm -hmm. Well, now how do we become that for all of these other people in these other seven states? Mm -hmm. So we've built dispensaries, we built cultivation facilities, we built extraction facilities. Um, in seven states and one country around the world. And 
culture.global, I put a dot global on that is because of my experience back with the car audio shops, taking Montana people looking at a California based show and wanting that service with cannabis. This is more of a worldly commodity. Good. If you will, whatever, um, how do I take what the globe is going to look at the epicenter of California and take that on the road? So I've always made the dot global thing. Um, like the clothing line, there's nothing that says weed on it. There's nothing that says anything great because I want this piece to be usable in every country in the world. Like, I don't want you to walk anywhere and someone know what that is. Yeah. It's almost like you got to be in to know what that is. Mm-hmm. Right. And culture speaks to, to this, this word is synonymous with not just weed. Like cannabis is just a small piece of our daily culture. Right. Absolutely. Like diversity, um, what's going on with like the gender roles in like all of those things are part of our culture. It's not our grandparents. It's, this is us today. Like what is us today? And so I felt like culture was something that um, kind of wrapped, um, took all of those um, pieces, pieces in, you know, um, several things. My children are mixed race. Like that's, that's a normal thing today. That wasn't a normal thing. 50 years ago. So this is all our culture. Cannabis is part of that. And, uh, yeah. It's quite a road. It's quite a road. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, traveling around the world and filming around the world. What what projects were you working on doing that? Yeah, man. So, uh, it was, it was interesting. 2020, we, we, we were, uh, doing a show, um, in response to a vice network article that was 20 countries with some sort of existing emerging or non-existing cannabis program. And we went out to shoot uh, the first episode, and it was in Nepal, right? Like, ripped the Band-Aid right yeah, off, right? Crazy. Like, like at that time, I had been to Mexico, Canada. Like, I had never been across the pond, mm-hmm. right? So, um, Nepal, first one. That's got to be mind-blowing. From Oakland to Nepal, or right? Oakland to Montana to Nepal. S- still, it's straight crazy. out. Yeah. Straight out the gate, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Nepal was the first one. We shot it. We get back, and number two is Spain that year for Spanibus. Now, production crew is there mm-hmm. in Barcelona. They're on the ground. We're set to fly out the night or that night. I get a call like 3 p.m. Man, flights are getting canceled. People are stuck. This COVID thing, yada, yada, yada. But it was crazy because when we were in Nepal, I was doing an interview with the, this, this kid that owned a, like a trinket store. And he's like, yeah, tourism's down because of the uh, coronavirus. And I turn around and look at the crew, look at production. I'm like, the what? I had never heard of it, right? And so, um, yeah, then COVID just kind of killed that. So since then, we've gone on to shoot 10 episodes around the world. It's called Creating Culture. We like to put a, we like to keep the Ks and keep it consistent. And what we're doing is we are creating this culture. Absolutely. Because... We're creating it within these organizations and these places that we're touching. And that is what cannabis is, is, is also doing. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, um, so what, what are you working on in the future? What do you have coming up? So th- my main focus, um, has been the release of the clothing line. Mm-hmm. I've been working on it for a while. Um, I love it. You gave me one of these. It's, the design is beautiful. The actual construction of it's amazing. I'm really looking forward to wearing it. Yeah. You guys did a really good job with that. Yeah. Good. I, you know, I, it's, Building a clothing line, man, for someone that who has no experience whatsoever mm-hmm. in that in that area of in that field has been uh, quite the ride. Um, 
and I'm, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm excited for like collection two, mm-hmm. but I want to, this time I want to like go. The first line was it, the products were made in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time I want to make the products and be more hands-on and I want to go to try to go to Vietnam and do it and, and be on the ground for like two months at a time going through fabrics and materials. Because when you're trying to create a clothing line through email in pictures, yeah, it's it's, like, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, we've we I worked a really hard to get it to where it is now, and I f- think that there's a good product, and you know, it's uh, it's it's turned out nice. I'm I'm happy with um, the way it's turned out, but I'm always like I always think there's room for improvement. Absolutely, you know, and so it's uh, each piece because uh, you you had asked me like why are, why are these names on here? Each piece is named after an airport code and it's associated with that. So the piece that I gave you was the PDX mm-hmm. jacket for Portland. And that's like a rain slicker and it's just classic materials. It's evergreen grays, blacks, and it'll just whisk water away mm-hmm. because that's synonymous. Cause when you're in Oregon, it's wet, right? <laughs> yeah. It's always wet. So we have LAX, we have MIA, we have LAS for Las Vegas. We have PHX for the Phoenix for Phoenix. Um, SFO, OAK, mm-hmm. um, and there's each piece, like I tried to thoughtfully, the JFK, which is probably my favorite from my time in New York, um, is like, is is just a, it, the JFK piece is just like a double-lined hoodie. It's just, it's, it's the, it just, I just really like that piece. Um, but each, each piece is like, speaks to where it's from and why mm-hmm. it's there, and there's a connection to that place. Absolutely. Because so, I assume there's a website they can buy all these at? Yep, definitely. It's just clothing with a K. Okay. Clothing by culture with a K.com. All right, all right. Definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, you had a crazy entrepreneurial spirit from the beginning. Like, I don't know anyone who goes to college and then starts buying houses and starts housing people in college. Where did you get this entrepreneurial spirit from? You know, I, I got it on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um. I got it on my mom's side and my dad's side. My mom's side is more of a blue collar side. Mm-hmm. My grandpa uh, was a Marine. And from there, they, 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 they got out of the South and they moved to, to California and they moved to Berkeley. And then my grandpa was a postal worker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had a side hustle of like recycling materials and trash hauling and things like that, which I grew up on that truck, working on that truck every summer. And my grandpa always said, so all my, my mom lives on the same block now. Um, but uh, my grandpa always said, control your neighbors. So he bought the five houses between my grandma's house. And every time somebody would sell their house, go Dr. to Bill Rose, because he would buy it. And so the five houses from my grandma's house down to my mom's house were all his. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where I got the real estate entrepreneurial side of things. Mm-hmm. My sister's still in real estate now. Um, and all of, I mean, I don't know, all my brothers and, like, we all, that not we, not me, they all have, like, real estate, a portfolio and things like that. Um, and then on my dad's side, my dad was born in Alabama. Um, shout out Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Roll Tide, which is, uh, it's, it feels like home for me, man. I really, I really enjoy Alabama. But, um, so my dad's family from Alabama. My uncle... Uh, played for the 49ers for nine years in the 70s, and I think uh, stopped in like 81, something like that. Uh, but they came out to California. Again, my grandpa was trying to get away from the racist South at that time. 
And uh, my dad was very entrepreneurial. So um, my dad had a natural gas and oil company. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad started the uh, 100 Black Men. Wow. Um, that's impressive. Founding president. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's nice. And uh, uh, my dad was just very entrepreneurial, man, very successful. Um, yeah, I'll tell you this one story, which is crazy. So my dad ended up into some shit with the feds, too. They fucking, fucking fast. Anyway, so my dad ends up with some shit, and all this comes out in what your your PSI, your pre-sentencing investigation. Mm-hmm. And so um, at the height of my dad's career, we had, like, a Rolls Royce and a driver and, like, all this shit. Mm-hmm. And so my mom loved that car. And my uncle found the car. So my dad, my dad died in 2010. But when the feds were on my dad, like, he would, like, hide all his shit and, you know do all the, all the necessary precautions. So like my mom really loved that car and she turned 60, I think it was either 60 or 65 when um, I was at the height of my time in Montana. And my uncle just like in conversation, he's like, yeah, man, remember that Rolls Royce, man, your daddy had the best Rolls Royce or the flyest Rolls Royce in Oakland or something, man, I know who got it. And uh, I bought that car back from my mom. And gave it to her on her 60. It was either her 60 or 65th birthday. I can't remember. Um, but I gave, I bought it back from that guy and I gave it to her as a present. And uh, the feds tried to take that fucking car <laughs> again. And so I was just like, fuck you. Like, it, it ain't happening. Yeah. And so we had to tuck it away for a little bit. And I just was like, I don't know what to tell you, dog. You barking up a wrong tree. Because I wasn't going to put her through that trauma again Absolutely. of having it be taken away yeah. and shit like that. You know, like... We were younger, man, like the FBI and the whole full SWAT team raided our house looking for my dad and shit like that. So, like, I remember that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, like it was yesterday, you know, and I remember my mom, like, yelling at agents to, like, to get the fuck out of our house and shit like that. So, like, those things, when it happened to me, it was just kind of like, people were like, weren't you scared? It it wasn't that I was, wasn't, I, I just didn't feel anything. Cause I'm like, it was almost like I've been through this, yeah, you, had, yeah. you know? And so, and then, and then just like drawing on that courage from my dad, like, man, these motherfuckers, I don't got nothing to worry about. We, all right. you know what I'm saying? And still in us still being all right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, it's like, damn, they just really came to our house, took all the cars. Let I'm talking like tow trucks mm-hmm. took all, Mercedes, like my dad had the shit. Yeah. When I tell you my dad had the shit, I mean, in you know, $80 million a year type shit business coming in. Like my dad was was him at one point. Um, and my uncle was playing for the 49ers at the same time. They had the club in San Francisco called, I think it was called Mims or something. I mean, these are some, you know, they was hitters in the Bay. And, um, um, and then they had Wine and Roses right down here, my mom's side. Mm-hmm. So uh, Felix and all them, you know, Felix Mitchell, all, all the big do- deep yeah, boys was all yeah. tapped into my uncle Billy, who's my mom's brother, who I guess this is where I get the cars from too. Cause he 20 cars type <laughs> stuff. And, um, but these are my examples of who I'm growing up around, yeah. right? This is what I'm seeing. So now people are like, man, when you was, you was real flossing and doing it, how I'm real. I'm, this is my yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. My example is real. Uh, like these niggas is the Kings out here. Like they really running shit and really like, really got it so what i'm gonna do i got to come i got to just come on a new version right (laughs) and so um you know that's all just ingrained into me and it's just what it was and um 
so uh, so uh, I got the entrepreneurial side and the hard work side from blue collar side from my mom. So my again, my grandpa had to all them houses right across the street from a park. My granny do shit like go rake all the leaves outside. Granny, all the leaves, all the leaves. Right, so it's y'all's block. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Go rake all the yeah. leaves and you eat when you get back. <laughs> so you know those are the kinds of heart. That's why now motherfuckers like you weigh your own weed out. You do. Yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah. I go into distro. You're bagging it up. You're weighing it up. You're dropping it off. You're collecting the money. Like I don't know anyone who's literally doing all of it anymore. I mean, it's it's insane. It's I don't know how you do it with all these other businesses. But that's again, that's why I said, are you intimidating? Because <laughs> you're busy as hell. Every time I saw you, you're working so hard. I was like, there's I can't possibly work hard enough to keep up with this man. So it's it's extremely impressive how much you do on your own. Man, I, I tell you, the reason that I don't like, so this is why. Mm-hmm. At my trial, I didn't speak for myself. I didn't take the stand. I don't like nobody speaking for me and representing me. If I could do it all over again, no, no, no lawyer. Maybe I'd have a, a legal advisor just to say, yes, you can and can't do that. But I need to be able to speak for myself and I need to be able to represent myself because nobody is going to tell the story of plants over pills the same way that I can. Absolutely. And when you're launching a new brand and you're, these dispensaries are giving you a shot, they're giving you an opportunity to sell your products in their stores. That message needs to come across very clear and concise from the day one. Yes. And the stores that it hasn't, that hasn't happened, um, I, we struggle. Yeah. Same. It's, if I don't do the staff training myself in a store, hit or miss sales, we yep. wind up out of the store in a couple of months. If I actually go there, like immediately as soon as we get it in there, we start off with great velocity, sales velocity and just increases over time. Absolutely. So the physical presence from either the owner or someone who cares passionately about the mission is critical. Absolutely. And the problem is the reason I do it, Taryn, is because like to your point, someone who cares. We live in a society where everything is so fucking expensive, especially here in the Bay Area. Pop can't afford to have someone that cares about it to tell the message. So I got to tell the message. You got to keep that price low for everyone so it keeps it affordable. Exactly. Because we get compared to this corporate cannabis shit that's not the same, that doesn't have the same brand ethos behind it, Mm -hmm. who doesn't have the same care and compassion, who who didn't put in the... But at the end of the day, do consumers care? No. It's a good product, good price. That's all they want. That's it. Yeah. So, look, it's the market we live in, and that's that's just how we... We got a roll. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive though. Very man. Thank you. What, um, how do you feel like, I guess what we talked about with your folks and the entrepreneurial spirit, but just in terms of like ethnic background, how do you feel that your culture that you came from has impacted what you're doing in this space or what you're doing out in the world? Well, look, just, you know, being until I open my mouth, if I'm in another country, you don't know what I am. Right. Absolutely. Right. Even here. I mean, because the Bay Area is so diverse. Absolutely. Right? Um, Within, let's talk, like, on a micro, immediate level. Mm -hmm. I'm never white enough, and I'm never black enough. Mm -hmm. That's just what it is. I'm sure you've dealt with some of that shit. Motherfuckers always say, oh, light skin, all the shit. You speak too proper. Yeah, right, exactly. And so, from, like, my immediate family... Like I said, for who my dad and my uncles were, and, you know, these is, not my dad, but, like, some of my uncles, they hijacking trains and doing the Jack London trains and doing the 
the the liquor scams and all this shit. I mean, these is back in the day how shit used to run yeah. around Oakland, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which I guess is no different than how shit run around here now. But um it's uh so it was just be careful. That was the the family sentiment. Um but then when I went down, it was just like, well, you knew what it was, so stand up and take your time and we ain't going to ain't no trials and it is it's no guilty pleas, and that's just what it is. Did you, you know, do stand, it. Stand tall on it, yeah. Exactly. So it didn't even have to really be communicated to me like that, though, because I just felt like if I had done that, then my uncles and everybody would look at me as like, yeah. like, uh, you soft. Like, you ain't it. Like, you ain't us. Mm-hmm. So I just really wasn't with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and from, like, on a macro level outside of the community – it's on some levels, and I know you're going to have some other conversations, but on some levels, it's almost helped validate and give more talking points or stripes to the fact of like, man, I went to federal prison for this shit and lost a lot of my life. Like, don't just look at the time sentenced. Look at this as a macro. Like, it took me 10 years probably to rebound from that shit mm-hmm. and probably not even all the way because had I never had that setback, who knows where we'd be right now. Absolutely. Right. Um, but I mean, I went down to zero from having millions of dollars in physical cash Mm -hmm. in addition to assets down to nothing. Um, and so now it's just like the bill back. Mm -hmm. The difference is the bill back is harder when you're older. Yeah. You (laughs) don't have the energy and the drive and the piss because it's almost like you've already done it. Yeah. So now you got to do it again. It's like, it's like when you're at the house, you're trying to log into something on the TV and the thing just kicks out your email address and you got to do it. You're just like, oh my God, <laughs> I got to start over. Yeah. got to sign all the way back in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, 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 there's been a good and bad um, from me. It's, it's helped me in some ways, but I've never been a part of last prisoner projects or none of that shit. I, I've always just done me. Um, and that could be a bad thing too. That could be something that slows, that's hampered my, I don't know, but none of them groups have ever reached out to me. And a lot of people that they do be reaching out to, or that they represent or they put on front street. I don't, I'm like, okay, go ahead. You know? So it's just what it is. That's beautiful. So for folks starting out in cannabis, like what, what, do you have any recommendations or advice for folks who look like us or trying to get in the space? I mean, this is a very different space now than when we got into it, you know, but still what, what kind of info, um, recommendations would you give folks yeah i i would say uh what i'd advise you to do is either if you have no clue but you just know that you want to be involved where i feel like i've been it been successful is i can tell you every piece of every operational process from planting a seed to extracting material to cultivating to retail dispensing to packaging to touch points of stickering. I can tell you every single thing because I've done it. So if you're looking to get into cannabis, don't come in with a blank slate, leave everything you quote unquote know, because today's cannabis is different from last legal cannabis to operate a legal compliant facility is, and even to work in a legal compliant facility from the cleanly measures down to um, security protocols, all of these things that 
legacy operators really never had to deal with mm-hmm. are a change of the guard. It's all new. Yeah. And so if you come into the, to the, to the industry now, come in with an open mind and try to learn as many different things as possible before you decide what you want to do. Absolutely. So you want to build a brand? Okay. You want to build a flower brand? Okay. Well, do you know how to grow weed? Can you talk about uh, different terpenes to consumers to figure out what needs they may have to be able to make an educated recommendation? Can you do that? No. So you need to start there. Yeah, get busy. Right, right. So um, that would be, and, and if you already know or you think you know what you want to do in, in weed, um, I would strongly recommend that then you laser focus and become a resident expert on whatever it is you think you want, you think you know, so that you make yourself irreplaceable on whatever team you want to join. Absolutely. No, that's great advice. Great yeah. advice. Know your work, get your hands dirty, become an expert. Those are all critical things. And especially a lot of new people are kind of missing as they just want to kind of invest in things without actually doing it. Exactly. So that's, just, that's a good point. It's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you, Jason, for being here. It's been great talking to you. It's great watching you work. It's great like having a brand with n- near your brand just to inspire me to work harder, grind harder. Yeah, man. Look, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. T. I mean, we always have you know great conversations, yeah. and I'm sure this could go on for hours. But uh, no, I really appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, if you in California dispensaries, man, check out Pop at Plants Over Pills on Instagram. Um, check out the culture clothing line, just clothing with the K by culture.com at clothing by culture or find me on Instagram. It's you guys know how to work it. It's just Jason D Washington and, uh, everything is tied and connected there. That's not hard, but look, support the brands. We really appreciate it. We're mission based. It's not just about flexing and, and, and making money anymore. It's about affecting a community, um, and helping people to help us. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks T.